cliffcentral.com. Um, we've got JJ Cornish standing by. Shall we try and go to him now? Let's do it. It's uh, 6.40. I don't see why not. I'm going to speak to him about um, what's going on on the African continent, and we're going to look at Eritrea today, which is interesting. Eritrea is one of those little tiny countries that gets overlooked too much of the time. It's also in the Horn of Africa, or just about there, and we'll find out what their role is in everything. Uh, JJ, can you hear us? Let me see if I can bring him on here. JJ, good morning. Hmm, not there yet. He's on mute. <laughs> oh, is he on mute? Will you? Will you? Ah, there he is. Yes. Ah. Mic off too. Sorry. Oh, there he yes. is. Good okay. morning, Phil. Bonjour. Bonjour. How are you, JJ? And happy Africa Day. It's Africa yes, Day. Yes. What a good point. Thank you for ah. that. Yeah, it's the anniversary of the founding of the Organization of Africa Unity in 1963, and it was kept since the founding of the African Union in 2002. But what a way to celebrate it with this. Uh, what appears to be a, another coup in uh, Mali, which is a real, real trouble spot in Africa. Uh, th- what happened was nine months ago, Ibrahim Boubacar Keita was overthrown. And uh, the the eventual transitional government, after some toing and froing, involved some military people. Now, the new president, whom you mentioned, uh, uh, he uh, had a cabinet reshuffle and threw out two military men, and the military thought this was just too much. So they've taken him, his prime minister, uh, they've taken the president, Mm Banao, and they've taken the prime minister, Moktawane, and the defense minister, Suleiman Dukure, uh, to this uh, base just outside Bamako. Uh, You know, it really does bother those countries. I mean, we've got uh, the uh, ECOWAS, which is the economic community of West African states, the the West African equivalent of SADC, that is. Right. Uh, they're sending a delegation to visit. The United Nations, the African Union, the European Union have all expressed concern. Uh, you know, Mali, the uh, the sort of northern desert part of this kidney-shaped country, is uh, much of it is under the sway of ISIS and al-Qaeda uh, uh, backing uh Insurgents, you know. Right. I mean, they had there was a, there was a coup there that France obviously had to step in and uh, um, put down some years back. Now they had this big summit in France last week, uh, talking about trying to get the economic impact of the COVID nineteen pandemic, uh, or to assuage that to some extent. And of course, Mali would have been front and center there. Mali, much the center of the Five Nation Sahel group. You know, trying to fight the uh, Islamist insurgency in the Sahel. And so this happening in Mali is very, very unsettling for the whole of West Africa. Well, I mean, it's it's really a bit of a uh, disaster because Mali doesn't really have a whole lot going for it, does it? And we'll talk about Eritrea in a moment because that's an interesting country, too, that most people, including me, don't know a huge amount about. But Mali just seems to me to be... Like desert and and violence and and not a whole lot of other stuff. That, that is absolutely true. There, there isn't a whole lot going for it. Uh, it's a very poor country as a result, but it's strategically placed, you know, right in the Sahel, that area between the Sahara Desert and the North African coast. You know, you were talking about the the train smash in uh, uh, Malaysia, mm. which is of course absolutely appalling. But what about the poor? People of Goma in the DRC, where you have Mount Niangongo, 
which is, uh, you know, just above them, smoldering all the time, yeah. uh, erupting. Uh, and happily, the lava flew down, uh, flowed down, <laughs> flowed down and, and, and stopped just outside of uh, uh, Goma. I was there shortly after the 2002 uh, eruption, which uh, left and 600 people dead. You know, Gareth, you would drive along the road and uh, in a four by four vehicle. This mm-hmm. is down, downtown. You didn't get in by normal vehicles. Right. Your, your vehicle would, uh, you're driving past two story buildings. Your vehicle would go up a sort of incline and suddenly you'd have one story buildings. And the fact is you had driven on to the lava field. Oh That's what God. would happen. It overtook parts of the, it, it, it ruined parts of the airport. I mean, the planes were landing in between uh, uh, the, the lava. I mean, and this black ash, there's just nothing <laughs> you can do with it. It's that- just frightful, absolutely frightful. And Nirangongo, of course, is above the uh, Virunga National Park, the oldest national park in Africa, which has which houses the mountain gorillas, you know, the yes. famous silverback gorillas. And and I don't know. I've been trying desperately to find out if any if in any way they were affected. But the lava flow was moving towards Rwanda, and as the people fled their houses, uh, and they they now returned. Many about you know hundreds of homes have JJ, been buried. This, this sounds like the this sounds like a, 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 a science. It sounds like a science fiction movie where you you know you have to drive uh, past the lava. You have to if you outdrive the ash, you have to try and survive. It's like a like a movie you'd see where, you know, this huge mountains erupting. And obviously because it's in the Congo, you know, we don't have like the live footage that we would if it was Mount Etna in Sicily or any of that stuff. So, it again, the, the poor people of the Congo have enough to deal with. Now they have to deal with a volcano. A volcano. Can you imagine? I've climbed <laughs> tip to the tip of uh, Nirangongo and and looked down into this boiling red mess below, you know. I mean, I, my guide assured me that everything was okay. I thought, well, I didn't hang about, you understand? No, oh my God. All right, um, <clears throat> so apart from a volcano and a coup, which, you know, for us is a normal week in Africa, and to celebrate Africa Day, it would be appropriate that we have both of those things. But let's talk a little bit about Eritrea, because this is a tiny little country. It's in a, a sort of... Um, uh, what would you call it? Almost a, like a promontory, a, a little, a little piece of the, uh, the 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 inside of the Horn of Africa that sticks out. But what goes on there, and and what do we know about Eritrea? Well, Eritrea was, of course, um, uh, uh, an Italian colony for fifty-two years, uh, and and then it was liberated by the uh, British after the Second World War, nineteen forty-one. In fact, during the Second World War. And a, a very good friend of mine and a re- absolutely remarkable author, uh, Michaela Rong, wrote this book called I Didn't Do It For You, which she calls the sort of story of the betrayal of the small country by the West. And, and those words come from a British captain who, marching his victorious troops or his liberating troops through Asmara, the capital, came across this uh, Eritrean woman who ululated her delight at being liberated. Yeah. And the captain looked at her and said, I didn't do it for you. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> nice. That's always a, that's a great way to start your freedom. Absolutely amazing. But nevertheless, uh, she's written this book on this fantastic, uh, fantastic story on it. The fact is Eritrea now, led by Azaria Saverki, is one of the least liberated countries, one of the, the, the most oppressed countries in, in Africa, certainly one of the poorest. It has a population of 
5.8 million, an area of 117 and a half square kilometers. Now, its neighbors are, in fact, Sudan, Djibouti, and Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. So it's in a kind of tough neighborhood, you know, sure. anything. At the moment, they, they fought a 30-year war of independence from uh, Ethiopia, and then they fought a border war, and it was it was uh, Abiy Ahmed, the Ethiopian, whose Nobel Peace Prize is very largely attributed to his making peace or declaring that war with Eritrea over. Mm-hmm. And the fact is now, ironically, Eritrean forces and Ethiopian forces are both involved in conflict in Tigray, and they haven't stopped that. And yesterday, the U- United States... Uh, Anthony Blinken slapped sanctions on both of those countries. Well, of course, Abiy Ahmed is furious about it. I haven't heard what Azaria Savarki has said. You know, Gareth, when you see these refugees, and we speak about them often, Mm -hmm. uh, leaving Africa in desperation, looking for a safer and more prosperous life in Europe, hundreds of thousands of them are from Eritrea. They they cross the Sahara. Can you imagine how hazardous that must be? And then have to cross the Mediterranean to get to Europe. But hundreds of thousands of them are, are uh, uh, Eritreans. Isaiah Savarki has used the fact of the conflict uh, to um, prolong national service. So uh, me, the silverback of this conversation, <laughs> I would still be liable for national service in, in uh, Eritrea. Eritrea. Now, having done national service under the Boer regime, I'm not inclined to – I wouldn't hang around. I would probably cross the Sahara to avoid it again. Well, I mean, this is this is really just such a tragic situation because, uh, first of all, <clears throat> it, it can't be a very pleasant place to be. And second of all, it seems that the leaders of that country have zero desire to sort out the problems because they're really just in it for themselves. But hasn't Europe taken action against them because – Ultimately, they're the ones who have to bear the brunt of this immigration. And, and, and as a result of that, they have to take these people in. And, and many countries along the Mediterranean, once they land there, you can't send them back. Um, they, they then have a, a, you know, an ongoing problem with, uh, with trying to find these people work and trying to find these people housing. And surely countries like Italy and Spain and France and so on have to, have to step up and tell the government of Eritrea to get their act together. Well, yes, indeed, and they can do that as much as they like, but unless they're prepared to take more decisive action, and I think that's exactly what Michaela Rong does in her book, talking about the country being betrayed. You know, when when uh, uh, Italy obviously forced out, leaves a very, very strong influence. The Eritrean cycling team is the best in Africa. Hmm. You want a wonderful <laughs> espresso, you go to Asmara, they serve the best espresso. You know, and it's an amazing capital. The Middle of the cap, they have a they have a the Shida uh, uh, statue. Shida is the Arabic word for a sandal, and they've got a statue of a sandal. The sandal is what the liberation fighters wore. So they've got this massive black statue statue of a sandal <laughs> commemorating the liberation war. There's sort of ironies That's about brilliant. it all the time, but it really is a, a, a country that needs. To have uh, Azaria Savaki needs to have his foot to the fire. Uh, he has used the the conflict 
and and the fact that and and be, what makes it one of the country one of the continents poorest, of course, for the same reason that it, it, it affected Ethiopia before, is very severe drought. Yeah. So it's a very very poor country, but it's strategically placed in the horn. So, so, so what know, do you what do you say when you say work. when you say decisive action? Do you mean that that military action needs to be brought to bear, or do you? Do you think that there is any, since we are celebrating Africa, Africa Day today, is there anything that the toothless, gormless African Union can do? Um, before we start celebrating Africa Day, let's actually take cognizance of the fact that the African Union has been largely unable to contain or control any of the excesses of leaders within, within this continent. Do you think that there's a role for the African Union to play? Uh, there certainly is a role for the African Union to play and the – and. Uh, uh, it gets Chisikezi, the, the, uh, Felix Chisikezi, president, who is, uh, uh, the DRC president currently, mm. the chairman of the African Union, lists Chad, he lists Ethiopia, he lists the Blue Nile Dam problem, Mozambique, Libya as the kind of challenges facing Africa on its so-called birthday. But he doesn't even list, uh, Eritrea there, and he mm. certainly should. You know, to have military action, it would be anathema in, in in most parts of the world. Military action uh, to force uh, Isaiah Sabreki to uh, adopt more liberal policies, but some kind of pressure has to be brought on him. Right. You know how did how did they end the apartheid regime by using pressure? Yeah. And 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 the, inter, the international community has to do it, and it, it would be easier to do it to to uh, Eritrea, and they would certainly need to. You know, there's uh, Eritrean journalists uh, speaking on working for the BBC. One of them wrote that, you know, my country has been, uh, uh, the, my country now has peace, but I'm still waiting for liberation. You know, and 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 that point is being made. We now that war with Ethiopia is over, everybody's delighted at that. The world is delighted that the shooting war has stopped, but the people of Eritrea have yet to be liberated, and that is something that. Certainly the uh, African Union and the new African unions, the, mm. the, the successor to the organization of African unity, which is supposed to, which is obliged to speak out against oppression in fellow African countries. Its predecessor, of course, was a, a club, you know, comfortable yeah. club of leaders yeah. who never attacked one another. The new African Union is supposed to do it. But isn't doing it enough in in in, in Ethiopia, so it should. Yeah. And in 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 that case, once the African Union steps in, the international community can back it up and come in with. Uh, certainly, that's what happened with South Africa, wasn't it? Yeah. When you had the frontline states, now SADC as it happens, but mm -hmm. the frontline state saying this is enough, uh, the the international community could then quite justifiably step in and say this is it. You know the thing about South Africa that was it was bigger and 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 more important. The United Nations, for example, can't step in unless peace and security are threatened. They can't take effective action. You know they can have lots of well, general assembly resolutions. Yeah, I'm sure that the people of Eritrea would say that their peace has not been uh, an easy one, if there has been any peace at all for them in the last forty years. So it's a horrible situation. Um, I'm just pleased that you were able to inform us on Africa's birthday today, essentially. That, um, that, that, that there is even such a place as Eritrea and what goes on there. I mean, this, uh, this leader of theirs, what's his name? Afzawi, Afverki. Azanias Afverki. He sounds like a nutcase.
Well, I think he's, uh, yeah, I think he gives nutcases a bad name at times. Eh? <laughs> JJ, it's always good to talk to you. Thank you very much for joining us on African Analysis this morning. There's JJ Cornish. We'll catch up with him again in uh, two weeks or so when we find out even more about this uh, fascinating and, and sometimes very beleaguered continent of ours. But happy, happy Africa Day, as he says. So there he is, yeah. brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. Um, African analysis, and you can get that episode. If you missed anything, you can download it and listen. Find out all about that volcano in the Congo, and you can find out all about Eritrea in one episode. We don't mess around.